listening to the Long Hollow Young Adults Podcast. We are the Young Adults Ministry at Long Hollow Church, located in Hendersonville, Tennessee. If you are interested in learning more about us or looking to attend one of our gatherings, you can follow us on Instagram at LHYoungAdults or visit longhollow.com for more information. And now, a message from our Young Adults Pastor, Dylan Young. I love this passage that we're looking at tonight because it, it answers a question for us that a lot of us have, especially in the stage of life that you're in. So I would ask you, if any of you ever like asked yourself, like, man, what am I doing with my life? Okay, yeah, that's why I figured I could get a little bit of response on that one. Like, is anybody, whether you're in college or out of college, like, did you change your major one time while you were in school? Okay, yeah. Anybody twice? That was me. Anybody three times? Okay, we got, we got people changing majors all the time. Like you, you get to 18 and it's like, I gotta have my whole life figured out. And that's just not reality, right? Thankfully. I know my dad studied turf management when he was in college. He wanted to work on golf courses. He's been in sales his whole life. Like I studied rehab science. It's a major that doesn't even exist at UTC anymore. So I could go to physical therapy school and I've been in ministry ever since. Like things don't always work. I'm going to guess some of you are in that boat where what you studied is not what you're doing, not what you see your career path being even. What Jesus for us tonight is he gives us vision for our life. There are all sorts of details to figure out in your life. There are all sorts of career paths you can take. There are people you can marry. You may have kids. You may be single. There are all sorts of things you can do, different places you can live. But what Jesus gives us in this passage that Caroline just read for us is an overarching vision of what our life should look like. Everybody's gonna have different details that fill in some of the blanks, but man, we all have this same vision that he gives the disciples in Mark 1. So when Jesus invites you to follow him like he did for the first disciples here, man, he's inviting you into his plan to change the world. He doesn't just invite you to salvation one day. You get that. But, man, you're in part of this plan to change the world here and now. And what I want you to hear tonight is that the plan is you. Like you are God's plan A, and there is no plan B. You are the plan. So as we study Mark 1 tonight, those verses that Caroline just read, 16 through 20, I want you to see when Jesus calls his disciples, he does it with intention, even in the moment that he calls them in. He calls them with intention. He calls them with a plan. And we're, I'll read some bits and pieces of this passage to you as we go. But the first thing we're going to notice within this passage that we need to take note of is the old life of the disciples. So that they had a life before Jesus calls them, right? He meets them out here while they're fishing. And we know they have a whole career. They've got a whole life that they're living, this old life that they have before Jesus calls them. And, and fair warning on this whole message tonight, I'm about to throw a lot at you. Connor, when I sent him notes for slides, he was like, would it be easier if I just put the whole New Testament in there? Uh, so we're going to be, I want you to try to take some notes, man, get stuff that you can go look back at later. Because um, I, I, I want you to soak some of this stuff in and it's going to take a little bit of time for you. Uh, and also I wanted to say this passage in particular, I have, I have learned a lot from Pastor Robbie and he heavily influences the way that I, I read this passage and see it. So there's a lot of stuff in here that is, that is truly his, and I want to make sure I give credit where it's due there. 
But as you, as you read through that passage, well, there's a word that I hope stood out to you that, that Mark repeats two times, and it's, the, it's their response, the, the, the way that they respond to Jesus when he calls them. What, what do you think that word is that I'm talking about? It says it two times, immediately, yeah. So they respond immediately to Jesus' call. As soon as he calls them, man, they drop their nets and they're, they're ready to roll with Jesus, right? And that should probably cause us to ask a question of, man, do they even know this guy? Like, we don't see any indication of that in this passage, that they'd ever met Jesus before. Like, why are they just, man, this guy just walked up on the seashore, and yeah, I'll follow that guy, because he told me to. Well, I, I wanna try to answer that question a little bit, why they wanted to follow him, and then maybe even get to a more important question later. But part of the reason they so quickly wanted to follow him is because they had seen Jesus at work. I want you to see this passage in its context from the other gospel writers as well. So they're calling him, but this is not the first time they have interacted with Jesus himself. So if we look at the way John records the story, and y'all, the gospel writers give different details. That's a good thing. That doesn't discredit the story. It actually gives it more credit when there are different details included. So we're going to look at this passage also from John 1. You can turn there if you want to. Um, John 1, and it'll be on the screen for you too, but starting in verse 35. So here's how John records this story. The next day, John, John the Baptist, was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. So he's pointing out Jesus to these guys. The two disciples with him heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and come and you'll see, he replied. So they went and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. It was about four in the afternoon. So these guys, they've spent a whole day with Jesus. I don't know what happened at four o'clock that they had to leave, but they've, they've been with Jesus this whole day. Verse 40, Andrew, Andrew was one of the guys that was there already. And Andrew, Simon's, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed Jesus. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, we found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, you're Simon, son of John, but you'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. So Peter and John, they've already had this interaction with Jesus. They're already convinced like he's the Messiah. He's the savior we've been looking for. They, they've got a good idea who this guy is already. They just haven't gotten the invitation to follow him yet. They, they believe in him. They just haven't gotten that tangible invite. Hey, I want you to spend your life literally tangibly with me. So look at this account again from the Gospel of Luke. Luke records it in chapter five, starting in verse three. So Jesus got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon. He's gonna be called Peter later. And he asked him to put out a little from the land. Then he sat down and was teaching from the crowds, teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let your nets down for a catch. Master, Simon replied. So we already see this reverence that, that Simon, that Peter has for him. We've worked hard all night long and caught nothing. He's kind of, it feels like he's saying like, hey, Jesus, I know you're like the Messiah, but we're fishermen. Like we've been doing this all night. We ain't caught anything. Like this is, this is probably pointless. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats so full, so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me because I'm a sinful man, Lord. 
For he and all those who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, those second two disciples we just saw, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you'll be catching people. And then they brought the boats to the land, left everything, and followed him. So I hope you see there is some context to this immediately dropping their nets and following him. They, they knew who this guy was and they, they realized, really the question here is not like why did they drop their nets and follow him so quickly? The question is why did he ask him in the first place? Why, why did they even have this opportunity? Look, look you, may, you may not know where you're headed in the Christian life all the time, but man, you know who you're following. You may not know where you're headed all the time, but you know who you're following. That's good enough when that person is Jesus. You can trust him to lead you, even if you don't know what the path looks like. <laughs> Moses set out and said he didn't know where he was going, or Abraham, he, he didn't know where he was going, but he trusted God. He set out and he said, God, I'll go wherever you want me to go. That's exactly what we see the disciples doing here. Now, like I said, the, the shocking thing in this story is not that they dropped everything and followed Jesus immediately. The shocking thing is that he called them to follow him in the first place. That's what really should stand out to us. And that, that's the second reason they're so eager to follow him. It's because they recognized the opportunity they were getting. They, they realized what this invitation really meant. And, and for us to understand how big of a deal this invitation was that Jesus was giving them, we need to know who these guys were. Like, what, what's the backstory on these guys? So we know a little bit of information already. What's their occupation? They're fishermen, right? So we know these guys, they're blue collar workers. They're working the night shift most of the time. They're hardworking guys in their family's trade. They're doing what their dad did, probably what his dad did, probably what his dad did. This is, this is their life. They're some hardworking, blue-collar type guys. The, another aspect of them that I think we can pretty much bank on, you can push back on some of this, but they're probably pretty young. These guys are probably teenagers. I don't know if how you picture the disciples in your head, but most of the time I'd see them as older guys, right? Like they've already got the wisdom and everything. They're worthy to follow Jesus because they got this resume built up already. I don't think that's the case. And, and there are a lot of reasons that, uh, this is an argument that, that Pastor Robbie lays out in one of his books that I, that I really love. These guys are probably teenagers from some of the details we see about their life. For one, when Jesus and Peter have an encounter uh, where they are paying temple tax, they're talking about the taxes. Well, it seems like Peter and Jesus are the only ones who have to pay that tax. So they seem like they were the only ones old enough to have to pay that tax. It seems like Peter is the only one who's married. We talk about Peter's mother-in-law. We see her mentioned from time to time. We don't see anybody else's family mentioned. So it seems like Peter's the only one that was old enough to be married. Jesus addressed them in a way that really could be translated into children. Like he's calling them like little in a sense. And I don't know about you, but you're not calling, Jesus is 30, you know. We're not calling other 30 year olds little children, right? Um, they totally left their careers. So this isn't impossible if they're a little bit older, but this is a whole lot easier if you don't already have your career like established, you got a family you're supporting, it's a whole lot more likely that they could go follow Jesus if they weren't already so far along in their careers. Um, they live for a long time after Jesus. We see at least John, his gospel is, is written approximately 90 AD. So we're talking 60 years after Jesus was, was gone, John's writing his gospel. So he had a lot of life left even after Jesus was here. And finally, man, we see immaturity in them. 
We see Peter sticking his foot in his mouth all the time. We see two of them. This is the one that really convinces me. Two of them send their mom to Jesus to ask him a question about what their future is gonna look like. Like, I hope all of you at age 18 or up are past the point of asking your mom to do things for you. But this is not where they were. <laughs> I think these guys were young and I hope that encourages you, man. If they could go change the world, you guys can too. We got a whole lot more than 12 people in this room and they don't have any kind of age on you. Let that encourage you that these guys were most likely young. And the last characteristic I want you to see about them is that these guys were dropouts of the religious school of the day. So the way this Jewish rabbinical religious system worked, all of the boys were in the same schooling up until the age of 13. So they've been in this rigorous school where they're working hard and they, man, they know the Torah. They're training to know the Torah and to know God through it. And at age 13, there's a cutoff that happens. So at that point, you either go to the next level in this rabbinical training, you're hoping to one day find a rabbi that you follow really closely, or you go back into your family's trade. This is where we see these guys, they're fishing. So at some point, they didn't make the cut in the religious school. I say all of this to say, these are probably not the people we would be looking for if we're trying to start the most important religious movement that has ever existed, right? These guys don't have the resume that you or I would be searching through to find. And man, I hope that encourages you because here's the thing about it. Jesus is not looking at your resume to see if you're useful or not. Man, he's looking at your willingness to follow him. He's looking at your willingness to be humble and teachable. And if you've got those things, Jesus can work with you. He can change the world with you if you'll be those things, if you'll be humble and willing to follow and be teachable and willing to serve others, man, Jesus can work with that. Jesus can work with those things. Man, when he says, follow me to these guys, they know their resume. When he says, follow me, they're in shock. That's why they drop their nets right away. They're like, I can't, this is not just a rabbi we're talking about. This is the man that we believe is the savior. Like, I gotta go follow this guy. They're in shock when he asks the question. And, and I want you to see, man, he, he knows they haven't been doing this. He knows they don't have the resume. What, what does he say to him? He says, I will make you fishers of people. He's saying, man, I know you haven't been fishing for people. I know you don't have a clue what you're about to be doing, but I'm gonna train you. I'm gonna show you the way. Uh, come along with me and I'm gonna train you up and I'm gonna turn you into this. Jesus, Jesus looks at you and man, he sees your potential. <laughs> He sees your potential and man, he wants to use you to impact people's lives. He wants to use you if you would be so bold as to follow him. So, so we need to ask the question now, man, what does this life look like? Last week, we saw the rich young ruler turn this life down. He never even saw what it was about. But man, when Jesus calls these guys, he's about to show them a whole new life. They've had this old life and now they have a whole new life, the disciples do. And, that, and I wanna look at this new life the disciples have now because what Jesus is telling them, what he's about to show them is, hey, you're plan A and there is no plan B. I want you to get that into your head because it's true of you too. You're plan A to change the world and there is no plan B. As we go on in our passage, this is the new life Jesus is calling them into. Hey, as we read this passage, if we believe Jesus didn't do anything by accident, which I don't think he did, I think he came to these guys at a very specific time. I think there's some details we can take out of this passage that, that show us 
He's showing them the kind of life that they're about to go into. So read back that Mark 1, 16 through 20 with me. Verse 16, I want you to notice a few, you can underline these words. Please underline, highlight them somewhere in your Bible so that they stand out to you from now on. Verse 16, as he passed along, alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea. That first word I'm looking at is casting. He's casting a net into the sea. And then if you skip, jump forward to verse 19, going on a little further, he saw James and his brother John in a boat putting their nets in order. The first two are casting a net. The second two are putting their nets in order. Those are the things they're literally doing in those moments. Some translations would say casting and mending. Man, what I want you to see here is this is a picture of the, of the overarching vision of their life and of yours. It's this picture of evangelism, of casting the gospel out there, of proclaiming the kingdom and trusting God to draw people in to the kingdom. We, we put the gospel out there. We proclaim the good news of Jesus to people and trust that God will draw people in, that he will catch them, if you will. And then on the backside, that's not the end of it. We don't just trust God to draw people in and then leave them there. We can't do that. Man, if you're a new believer, if you've been a believer for, a believer for just a couple of weeks, like you're saying, okay, what, what do I do? What do I do? I need somebody to, to teach me something. I got this whole new life I'm supposed to be living, but I, I don't know what to do. I need, I need somebody to show me. And we're mending the nets. We're casting those nets out, trusting God to draw people in. And then on the backside, man, we're gonna show people how to follow Jesus. We've got this picture of evangelism and discipleship, and we can't just have one without the other. Do you see that picture there? I hope when you read this passage from now on, it's gonna be something that you can't overlook. And Jesus, Jesus, he did everything with intention. Don't overlook details. Make notice of those things. Y'all, this is the vision that I'm talking about. Your whole life, whatever you do, has this umbrella term over it of disciple-making. When you start following Jesus, you are a disciple maker. And it has these two pieces to it, this evangelism piece and the discipleship piece. Now, you could be skeptical of that if you want to be. I've said this is plan A and there is no plan B. Where do I get that from? Maybe if you don't even believe that, I hope you'll believe that Jesus bookends his interactions with the disciples with this same message. So maybe if you don't trust this one, maybe you'll trust the Great Commission so this is what Jesus calls them into and it's his parting words to them as well. So Jesus has lived his life. He's lived his few years with the disciples. He's about to ascend to heaven after his death, burial, and resurrection. You probably are familiar with these verses. Matthew 28, verse 18. What does Jesus say to them before he departs? Verse 18, he says this, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples. <laughs> That's the vision, y'all. The vision has not changed. That's to make a disciple, we have to be doing evangelism. We have to be sharing the gospel. We have to be talking about the kingdom with other people. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And verse 20, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you. And remember, I'm with you always. <laughs> We're teaching them. We can't just invite people into the kingdom and then say, all right, have at it. No, no, we're gonna teach them how to live this kingdom life, live the way Jesus lived. Both pieces are still there. And this is what he calls them into. This is what he leaves them with. He's telling them, hey, I'm leaving, but the plan hasn't changed. 
plan has not changed. It's still you, and it's still you today to change the world. It's plan A, y'all, and there is no plan B. So next Tuesday, we're going to finish examining this passage, talking specifically about discipleship. For the rest of our time tonight, I want us to drill down on this idea of evangelism. Now, I know some of you, as soon as I say the word evangelism, you've got butterflies in your stomach. Like this is something that makes us nervous, right? I know it does for me at times still, and there was no way I was about to share the gospel with somebody until I had somebody teach me and take me along with them, show me how to do it. I get it. But this idea of evangelism, man, it's it's the Greek word. I mean, you don't need to know this, but I want you to see where it comes from. It's the Greek word euangelion. I hope if you, if you see that, you can see we get evangelism from there. Euangelion just means good news. It's the, it's the gospel. And when you proclaim that good news, you become an evangelist, right? You are doing evangelism. Um, it, it really simply, it's exactly what we see Jesus doing right before he calls these disciples. So if you look just at the passage right before, uh, up in verse 14, Mark 1.14 says this, after John was arrested, Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. He's doing it right there. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. And there are really, you can kind of see there are two parts there. He's proclaiming the good news and then he's calling people to repent and believe. So that, that evangelism process completes itself when we have given people, brought people to a point of decision, right? And that's the part that makes everybody nervous. It's one thing to go talk to somebody about your own faith and talk about Jesus and what he's done in your life, man. It, it gets harder when you're getting to that point of, hey, is this something you would want to believe into? Is this Jesus got somebody you'd wanna give your life to? That feels like we're intruding on their life, right? That's, that's where we feel like people are gonna push back. Uh, and, and what I wanna say to you tonight is just, I get it. I get that. I mean, I want you to start wherever you are tonight. If this is something you have never done before at all, I'm not expecting you to walk out of here as the next Billy Graham tonight. That's not the goal for where we're at. I want you to walk out of here tonight, man, saying, okay, I'll take a step. I'll take a step in developing some boldness and being a little bit more bold in my faith and sharing Jesus with other people. Because I I so get that fear. Because like I said, man, when when I first had somebody tell me, like I grew up in the church and I knew I was supposed to be doing that, but it wasn't about to happen. Like no way am I having that conversation with somebody. But man, I got to the point where somebody trained me. Somebody gave me a, a guide for a conversation. Somebody took me along with them and showed me how they did it. And then I went and did it and they came with me. And you know, we got to talk about it afterwards. Like this, it doesn't have to be scary if we'll put in the time to do it, but listen, uh, it can be, the step that you take tonight can be really simple. And I, I, I read, there was a whole book I have that's just stories of evangelism. And I, I read through some of those stories, trying to find the one that you know would be the ticket to inspiring all of you to go out and share the gospel tonight. And the one that stuck with me was one that was really simple. It's just a story, there were two students at Mississippi State, and this was years ago, but one of them, they end up being roommates. One of them reads his Bible regularly. He's living this Christian life. He's living out his faith in front of his roommate. That guy's name's Alan. The other guy, the other roommate's name's Kelly. And he eventually invites Kelly to church. And Kelly comes to church. And not long after that, he gives his life to Christ on a Sunday morning. 
Maybe your step tonight needs to be, I'll be willing to invite somebody to church. That's probably a step for, for some of us, right? And I promise you, I mean, people are so much more open to you inviting them to something like that than you think they're going to be. Man, man, I want you to take heart in just the fact that that can be a step that you take tonight. It doesn't have to be you walk out of here as a master evangelist. Man, that guy was just, he was just a faithful witness. He was faithful with somebody that God put in front of him, and he let God do the work. But hey, I get that no matter what your step is, I get that some of that fear can be there. And I want to think a little bit, like, how do we overcome the fear of evangelism? How do we overcome the fear of stepping into a spiritual gospel conversation? And two things, man, there are, there are a million directions we could go with this, but two things that I've, that I've been thinking of this week that I wanna say to you is just, we can start to develop some confidence and we can develop some spiritual FOMO, if you will. And I'll explain what I mean about that in just a second. But man, developing some confidence in evangelism, for one, can just come from having a little bit of training. And I'm gonna say more about this later tonight, but we wanna do that for you next week. Like, I don't wanna, I'm not gonna preach this to you and say, all right, you figure it out. No, we wanna, next Tuesday, we wanna bring you back in here and do some training on a, on a really simple method of sharing the gospel with people that I think will give you some confidence. And the next way we can develop some confidence, man, is just realizing the power that we have through Jesus. Realizing that, man, when we step into a spiritual conversation, we're going with the authority and the power of our King. We have his Holy Spirit living inside of us. And I wanna give you a few references that I want you to come back to whenever you're feeling that temptation to be fearful, to be timid. Matthew 28 was the first one. We just read it a few minutes ago, but think about what Jesus said at the beginning and end here. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. He's got all the authority. And that means all, authority over everything. Then the very end there in verse 20, he says, and remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So hey, the one who has all the authority is the same one who walks into that conversation with you. 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it's the power of God to those who are being saved. Y'all, the message itself of Jesus and his resurrection as the sacrifice for our sin, defeating sin and death, that message has power in and of itself. You're going out with the one who has all authority. You're going out with a powerful message when you do this. 2 Timothy 1.7, this is one I've had drilled into my head for a long time that you need to store away. 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. That Holy Spirit within you, there's no timidity coming from that spirit. Y'all, he can overcome that. He's a spirit of power and of love and of self-control. That's the God that we have inside of us. And then real practically, Acts 4.13, we see the disciples living this out. Here's, notice what people notice about them. Acts 4.13, when they observed the boldness of Peter and John and realized that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were amazed and recognized that they had been with Jesus. That's the only thing they've got on anybody, right? They don't have the resume, they've been with Jesus. And here's the thing, you can spend time with Jesus. <laughs> they really have nothing on you. These 12 guys changed the world and they got nothing on you. The guys, you, you, you just don't even, you don't realize the impact that God wants to have through your life. And y'all, those nerves, they may never go away. And in some ways, that's probably a good thing. Because you, you're walking out serving our God, right? And we want to serve him well.
But y'all, evangelism, having spiritual conversations, it's not about getting over your nerves. It's not about getting to a place where you have no nerves walking into that. It's about working through your nerves. It's about working through any timidity that might come up and saying, I'm gonna look that timidity in the face. I'm gonna say, nope, I have God on my side who's more powerful than that, than that feeling that I fear, that I feel. That's what it's about tonight. Confidence in evangelism, it's gonna come from realizing that power that we have in Jesus. And like I said just a minute ago, it's also gonna come from having some spiritual FOMO. I, I want you to start dreading missing out on something that God might do through you. Because I know I've had so many situations where I have wished I had stepped into a conversation, wish I had been obedient to God, but knowing that I walked right past that opportunity. You know, we, gotta, we gotta stop making lists of reasons not to be obedient in a given moment. And man, start making lists of reasons why, man, I wanna see what God wants to do right here. That's, that's where we need to be. That's, where, that's a place that I hope, man, we can get to as we walk out of here tonight. Because y'all, I got, I got way too many stories in my head of, of times that I wish I had obeyed. And the one that sticks out to me the most is a guy named Matt that I worked with in Chattanooga. We had shifts together every now and then, and, and I knew God wanted me to talk to him about his spiritual life, share the gospel with him. I knew he did, and I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off. And finally, one day, I was like, all right, I'm just going to dip my toe in here, talk to Matt in the office. And we had a spiritual conversation. We didn't get all the way into the gospel, talking about where he stood with Jesus but he actually ended the conversation like, man, thanks for bringing this up. Like I, next time he had to go, but next time we work together, let's, let's continue this. I'm like, fantastic. Like this guy's inviting me to share the gospel with him. And the problem was we never had another shift together. Like he took a job two days later and stopped working where, where I worked. And I never saw the guy again. And man, I, I can't help but wonder like what could have happened if I had been obedient in the moment when I knew God was calling me to talk to him the first time? What could God have done through me and in his life if I had just been obedient in the moment? And y'all, I know, I know this culture that we live in. It can feel like, and people aren't interested in that. Like, it feels like the culture is harsh against Christianity. And I wanna tell you, man, that, that idea that people are not interested in this, that's a lie. That's a lie from the devil that you, that you need to ignore because scripture tells us so. We see it in people's lives. People are, whether they even realize it or not, people are longing for somebody to show them a way to freedom, to show them a way, a different way of life than what they're living, to show them a shepherd that they can follow, to show them a savior that can show them a whole different way to live in a kingdom that they don't know about right now. How do I know that? Because Jesus tells us in Matthew 9, <laughs> let's try to develop this attitude he has here. Matthew 9, I told y'all we were going to be all over the place. Verse 36, he says, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion for them. And when you look out at your peers, the people you work with, your classmates, golly, could we have compassion for them? Because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is abundant, but the workers are few. This is probably a line that you've heard before if you've been in the church very long. Man, people are out there. They're ready for the gospel. God says in other places, I have people in this city that are, that are ready to start following Jesus. We've got to go be those workers. Y'all, if it's not us, we can't just wait around and hope somebody else does it. 
I, I saw a statistic, this is just in the Southern Baptist world, which is not the whole Christian world, just for the record. But um, in the Southern Baptist world in 2021, it took 82 members of the Southern Baptist church to see one conversion in a year. And y'all, we, we don't do the saving. We trust God to do that. But man, we, we need to be doing our part to make sure we are way above average on that. If we'll go out and share the gospel, let's trust God that he can bring in. If we have double that number in the room right now, golly, I hope we would see more than two people come to Christ in a year. Let's do our part to be way above average on a number like that. And let's see how many people God might draw into himself. If we'll step into this, y'all, it, it has to come from us because of a verse like Romans 10, Romans 10, 14. How then can they call on him who they have not believed in? How can they do it? They can't call on Jesus' name if they, don't, if they don't believe in him. How can they believe without hearing about him? How can they hear without a preacher? That's us. How can they preach unless they are sent? That's us tonight. That's us when you started following Jesus. As soon as you started following Jesus, you're sent. You're sent. We're living this sent life. And y'all, this is, this is an urgent responsibility and an urgent privilege that we have to tell people about Jesus. Let's not wait for somebody else to do it. Let's be the ones that are out there being bold and taking chances and telling people the life that you found in Jesus. Um, and you've got a whole generation that we need to look at and have compassion on. <laughs> enough compassion that it breaks our hearts enough that we, we got to tell them about Jesus. I got to tell them about the life that I found that they don't have yet. You know, this past Sunday, I got to host R.T. Kendall, who was our guest speaker for the, for the morning. So I'm with him and his wife for several hours. And I'm like, man, this guy has forgotten way more ministry than I will probably ever know. I got to take advantage of my time with him, right? So I'm trying to ask him all these good questions. I asked him, I said, I'm 33. What would you tell your 33-year-old self? This is literally what he said. I'm like, this is about to be the nugget of wisdom that I've waited for my whole life, right? He's 87. And he, man, just all kinds of wisdom within that man. And he said, ah, I was kind of a late bloomer. I was in seminary when I was 33. He said, I think you're doing fine. You'll be all right. I was like, okay. That was not, that was not the nugget of wisdom I was waiting for, but I'm glad in this two hours we've been together, you feel like I'm doing okay. Uh, I appreciated that compliment. I also asked him, hey, in, your, in all of your time in ministry, is there anything that you've ever said or done that has really inspired people to be bold in evangelism. And his response was really humbling. He said, Dylan, if you can get people to do that, you would be a Moses and an Elijah combined. And I thought, man, that is a, that's a sad indictment on the church that it takes a Moses and an Elijah combined, it takes that leader to get somebody to go tell somebody else about Jesus. Man, don't let that be said of this group. Don't let it take more than just you reading the scriptures for yourself to tell somebody about Jesus. And it made me realize, hey, there's no perfect thing I can say to you tonight that, that is gonna get you to do that, that's gonna motivate you just the right way, that's gonna inspire you to do it. That was good for me to hear, for one. It takes some of the pressure off. I'm gonna trust God to work in you um, to, to get you to a place where you're taking a step. But I also... I want to tell you to do something. You've got to do something. You've got to take some kind of step. I mean, if y'all are on Instagram, you've seen Carrie and Connor stalking me at this point. 
I don't know what their obsession is with me, but it's cool. I can handle it. Um, but they followed me into a CPR class last week. Frank and, and Rob were in there. We learned how to do CPR for an hour and a half or so. And, and at the end of the class, here's what the lady said to me. And I thought, that's exactly what we need to hear right now. She got to the end of this class and she said, hey, you've got the training now. You're good to go. You're certified. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to come to a situation where you need to use this training and your temptation is going to be to freeze. Your temptation is going to be to say, oh, pff, I don't do I really know what I'm doing here. Like I just took that one class. I kind of want to, it said, your, your temptation is going to be to freeze and not use what you know to do. She said, do something because this person's life is at stake. You've got to do something. If you do nothing, their chances are slim, right? But if you do something, even if it's not perfect, they've got a chance. Y'all, we've got to do something. But we can't just stand by and take the culture as it is. We've got to push back against darkness, right? And so here's, here's something that you can all do. This is something that you can't be scared of, is to ask God for this, this three-part prayer that I learned a long time ago, and I, and I should pray it more than I do. But this three-part prayer, you can start working into your life. The first part is this, just pray for God to give you an opportunity to share the gospel. Pray for an opportunity to share the gospel. Then I want you to pray for eyes to see that opportunity. Eyes that, will be, eyes that won't look away when God points it out. Eyes that will be honest with what you're seeing in front of you, what God is pointing out to you. And then I want you to pray for boldness to take that opportunity. And this is a prayer that you can start your day with, that you can pray throughout the day, wherever you go. This is a prayer you can take with you. Nobody can be scared to, to say that prayer, right? And let's trust God with the opportunities that he puts in front of you. This is, this is a good place to start in making evangelism a regular part of your life. I mean, you do something. Because y'all, you, you never know. You, you just don't know what kind of impact God wants to have through you in an individual's life and maybe for generations to come in that person's family. If you think back to that Mississippi State student that I talked about earlier, and he didn't do anything special. Like he didn't have the perfect gospel presentation that he gave to his roommate he was just faithful with what God put in front of him. Man, I'm glad he did. Because Kelly is my dad. And it not only changed his life, but it changed my life, right? You, know, you, you, you don't know the impact God wants to have through you. Would you be bold enough to see maybe what he wants to do through you if you'll be obedient to him in evangelism? Guys, do something. Because you are, hear me, you are plan A to change the world and there is no plan B. Let me pray for you as we close. God, I pray that tonight that you would squash fears right now. Um, that if there are people that are hearing voices in their head right now saying, man, that all sounds good, but golly, that person that God's bringing to mind, they're not gonna listen. God, would you, would you quiet those voices and would you make your voice loud that says, when you go talk about me, I'm there with you. God, would you, would you make us bold as we leave this room tonight? Would you pray, golly, 
Would we pray that prayer as we walk out tonight and look for, for ways to share the gospel of you in the park outside? Before we even leave the campus, God, would you bring opportunities to talk about you and the gospel and in your love for us that we see through your death and burial and resurrection? Or would you bring opportunities to us and would you give us stories to tell on the back end? Would you draw people to yourself? And God, would you honor the boldness, the steps of faith that we take? And would you grow our faith as we try to walk after you, Lord? We love you. We're thankful for the person that you sent to show us the gospel. And we pray it all in Jesus' name, amen.